And please do keep your Bibles open there on page uh, 72 as we look at chapters 15 to 18 uh, today. I'm conscious that as we're going through the book of Exodus this term, we are taking on uh, big sections of scripture uh, every week, every Sunday. Today, four chapters, 15, 16, 17, and 18. There is no way that we can look at all of it uh, in detail. And so we will be just touching on some parts like chapter 18. We won't have time to go into as much detail of even the bits we're looking at. And that might leave you a little bit frustrated. Uh, at the end of today, you might have some questions that you feel weren't answered from this section. If that is you, please to grab me or Pete at the end. Um, we would hate for you to leave today with questions unanswered or at least begun to be wrestling through. We want that not just in this series as we're looking at four chapters, but any series, no matter how small. We long for us here after the sermon, after the service, to be chatting through, asking questions, wrestling it through together. How is the Lord speaking to me? How does this apply to my life today? So let me encourage you if that's you today and not just today, but every Sunday. Now, as we come to chapters 15 to 18, and as you heard these two readings read out, I wonder if you noticed an incredible juxtaposition, an incredible contrast between the first reading and the second reading. In the first reading, chapter 15, at 1 to 21, you have this incredible uh, high, um, this song of Moses, and the Israelites singing, and this great praise to the Lord. It is one of the high points of the Bible. Did you know that this song of Moses is picked up in Revelation 15? The song of Moses is a song that God's people will be singing for all eternity. Lord, you are great. Who is like you, Lord? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, this incredible high point. And then just three days later, in the second half of chapter 15, 16 and 17, you go from this incredible high point to this incredible low point. And how quickly God's people turn on the Lord. This juxtaposition, this contrast, it is shocking. They're grumbling. They're complaining. We get it again and again and again. Side by side from this high point to this low point. And this low point, this theme of grumbling, again, is a big theme that plays out across scripture. It is picked up particularly by the Apostle Paul in his first letter to the Corinthians, where he says that what happens here to the Israelites is written down for us, the church today, as an example, as a warning to us, so that we don't make the same mistake. So let me ask you guys this morning, how is your praise life? Do you come to church this morning with a heart that is thankful to the Lord? with a desire to sing to him? Or actually, do you come to church a little bit of grumbling in your heart, a little complainy, perhaps as one area of your life, and actually a root of bitterness is setting in? Could be someone here, you're, you know, you're not a Christian, you're exploring, you wouldn't say you believe in God yet. I imagine you would rather be seen to be a thankful person rather than a grumbling person and becoming a grumpy old man or lady. So how do we have more highs in our life? How do we have less lows? That's what this is passage about. Let's come to it now. We're going to look at the praise. We're going to look at the grumbling. We'll finish by looking at the Lord. First, let's look at the praise. We're in chapter 15, verses 1 to 21. And you'll just notice here as we're going through Exodus, we move here from story to song, from prose to praise. Verse 1, I will sing to the Lord, 
For he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he's hurled into the sea. Then just glance across to the end, verse 21. Get it again. Sing to the Lord. For he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. Now what is the significance here about this move? From prose to praise, from story to song, singing to the Lord. Well, you sing about what matters to you. You sing about what is really important to you. One of the marks of a genuine Christian is that you don't just understand intellectually what Jesus Christ has done for you. You don't just understand it, him. You celebrate it. You celebrate him. You are moved to sing to him. The US pastor John Piper says, the reason we sing is because there are depths and heights and intensities and kinds of emotion that will not be satisfactorily expressed by mere prosaic forms or even poetic readings. There are realities that demand to break out of prose into poetry, and some realities demand that poetry be stretched into song. And that is what is going on here. As God's people celebrate what he has just done for them. Notice also, as we're just getting our bearings on this song, that everyone is involved in this singing. Not just the musical people, not just the one with that particular gifting, not just the women. Verse 1, then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. Verse 20, then Miriam, the prophet, Aaron's sister, took a tambourine in her hand and all the women followed her. Every man, every woman, singing this song of praise to the Lord. One of my old Deutsche Bank uh, colleagues is a ticket holder for Arsenal Football Club. He very kindly took me um, to a match um, not too long ago at Etihad Stadium. Incredible time, very much enjoyed it. One of the things that um, really struck me going into the stadium um, and as the game started was just how at times the whole place was rocking sort of with this singing as the fans are just going at it in unison. Now, I want to be fair to these fans. By their own admission, some of them probably don't have a musical bone in their body. Some of them might be tone deaf. Did it matter? Not at all. A great passage of play, a wonder goal. One new arsenal, one new arsenal. I mean, it's not very pretty, but it was pretty effective, right? They're all at it, singing away. Some people say to me at church, you know, well, you know, singing's not really for me. Sometimes you get it mostly from the men. It's not a really manly thing to do. Have you been to a football stadium? Every man, every woman, singing to the Lord. Verse 21 is a command. It is not an optional extra. Sing to the Lord. Why? For he is highly exalted... Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. Now, we don't have time to go into the detail of every line um, of this song. But basically, verses 1 to 11 look back on what the Lord has just done um, for the Israelites. Verse 4, for example, Pharaoh's chariots and his army the Lord has hurled into the sea. Verse 10, but you, Lord, blew with your breath and the sea covered them. God's miraculous deliverance of his people 
from Pharaoh and his army bearing down on them. And he parts the Red Sea and his people pass through. And once they are through, the sea comes back to destroy their enemies, the Egyptians. An incredible deliverance. But the song doesn't just look to the past. It also looks to the future. Verses 12 to 21. Verse 13. In your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. Verse 17. You will bring them and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, Lord, you made for your dwelling. This is what the Lord does for his people. The past completely dealt with, the future absolutely secure, from slavery to freedom, from Egypt to Canaan. And this is a picture we're given of the, in the Bible of the ultimate salvation that God offers to all who trust in Jesus Christ. Not a rescue from slavery in Egypt, but a rescue from the slavery to sin. Not a rescue to the land of Canaan, but a rescue to the land of this whole world perfectly renewed. So if you are struggling to be thankful right now, look to the past. That's one thing you can do. And see what Jesus Christ has done for you and for everyone by dying for them. By dealing with the guilt of your and my sin for breaking the power of sin in our lives. Have you ever had a dream and you've committed something very heinous, a terrible crime? Have any of you had that? Okay, some nods. And you feel your world crashing around you. Will I see my spouse again? Will I see my kids again? You are locked up, everything taken from you. And then suddenly you wake up, sometimes in a sweat, It happens to me quite a bit. Don't know what that says about me. Um, It's a dream. It's not real. It hasn't happened. The relief that washes through you. The thankfulness. Oh my gosh, I see my wife. I hold her a bit longer this time. I see my kids. I kiss them a few more times. I'm free. It didn't happen. So it is with us and God. Except with us, it is real. We did sin. We committed a heinous crime, a terrible crime, not loving God as we should, not trusting him as we should, not loving others as we should. The eternal consequences of our sin is not worth bearing, not even considering. There's nothing we could do, no way of escape from it. And yet Jesus Christ has graciously, wonderfully rescued us from it from dying by dying in our place. So the guilt is removed. So we can be free, so we have the relief, the thankfulness we can have in our hearts. And we don't just need to look back, we can also look forward to the future. Think of all your fears, your hopes, your desires, your anxieties. Will I get a job? Will I find a spouse? Will I have enough money? Will my kids be all right? Will I be all right? As the shadow of death hangs over all of us. And what Jesus Christ has done for us in dying for our sin and breaking through death to resurrection life, 
leading his church, the new creation, he promises you, he assures you that your future is absolutely secure. And in his unfailing love, Jesus is leading the church, every Christian believer, to a world where all that is wrong is gone, every fear, anxiety disappeared, all that is good in the world perfected. That is true for everyone who trusts in Jesus Christ. This is what the Lord does for his people. The past completely dealt with. The future absolutely secure. If you are someone who trusts in Jesus Christ, you have been rescued from hell for heaven, for eternity, with an inner quality of life now that society can only dream about. Now, what is there not to praise God for? So sing to the Lord, every man, every woman, every child. That's the praise. Let's move on, secondly, to the grumbling. Because barely have the Israelites' feet dried from their miraculous rescue through the Red Sea, and they start grumbling against God. Not once, not twice, three times in this section. We read in chapter 15, verse 22, Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they could not drink its water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled against Moses, saying, What are we to drink? Now, to be fair to the Israelites here, They need to drink, right? No water, you die. They've been going for three days. Where's it going to come from? So you can understand their frustration. But their grumbling is inexcusable. What has the Lord just done for them? (laughs) He has parted the Red Sea so that they can be rescued. Now, if he can do something like that, do you not think that he can provide some water for them? All they had to do was ask the Lord for water. That is what Moses does for them in a moment. God was waiting for them to to ask, to depend on him. What do they do? They go straight to grumbling. Can I ask, do we find ourselves doing a similar thing? When things don't go the way we expect them to? when there are trying circumstances, difficult circumstances, maybe very understandable, frustrating experiences, but is your first move to the Lord, to seek him, to ask him, or is your first move to go straight to grumbling? Now, miraculously, the Lord provides water for them. Moses throwing this log into the water and it's suddenly drinkable. But the Israelites failed to learn their lesson. And a couple of months later, the grumbling is back. Chapter 16, verse 2. In the desert, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, If only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat round pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted. But you have brought us out into the desert to starve this entire assembly to death. How quickly we forget the Lord's goodness to us. How quickly 
We can move from this praise to this grumbling. The Lord who is like you. Oh, he's bringing us out to starve us to death. Now, admittedly, these are testing circumstances again. This time it's not water, it's food. Man's got to eat, so is a woman and child. We know what the right response is to cry out to the Lord, ask Moses to do it. They don't. They go straight to the grumbling again. Do you notice how their grumbling and their complaining sort of distorts reality? I mean, they were suffering from terrible oppression and terrible slavery in Egypt. But here they're sort of describing it as an all-you-can-eat buffet at TGA Fridays. They would rather, you know, be back there and sort of dead there. They're rather alive here. It's just crazy. That's what grumbling and complaining does to you. It distorts reality of your life and of what's going on. And again, the Lord is incredibly like, gracious with them and miraculously provides food for them, manna and quail from heaven, food they don't have to work for, food they don't have to farm or harvest, but they still don't learn their lesson because it comes up again now in chapter 17, verse 3. The people, they're thirsty again for water. And so what do they do, verse 3? They cry out to the Lord for help. They cry out to Moses to cry out for the Lord. He did it before, let's do it again. No, verse 3. But the people were thirsty for water and they grumbled against Moses. Do you see? Grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. It's water again. Have they not learnt the lesson? What is going on? Well, look, you put it all together and it just seems like the Israelites don't expect there to be any trying times or difficult circumstances in their life just because God is with them or at work in them. Because as soon as something comes up, a thirst, a hunger, a thirst, they're straight to the grumbling. As soon as things don't happen the way they want them to happen, the way they expect them to happen, the way, what the Lord should do for them, they grumble. Now, is that not the same for us so often? We came back from holiday yesterday. Um, and the Lord was very good to us in getting us to the plane on time. We'd ordered a taxi to get us there. Um, it was meant to have the car seats for our children. It didn't. We're 30 minutes delayed. Traveling to the, air, the airport, there was an incredible um, queue on the motorway, so we were an hour delayed there. We got to the airport, the security line was all the way out, sort of where it should be. That was 30 minutes. Last call for passengers Jackson and Nicholas is, <laughs> are we going to make it? Um, and we did make it, and the Lord was very good to us, and we're like, woohoo! Praise the Lord, we're in, it's great, we're just so happy. An hour later, we landed at South End Airport, engineering works at the station, have to get a wait 20 minutes for a bus replacement service, end up in Thorpe Bay, get a slow train to London. A pit bull starts attacking passengers, and uh, we get stopped in a station. Um, a load of lads come on for a party Saturday night. They are swearing their heads off in front of our three kids. Uh, Joe's got, the, got Jacob gone in the car, and we're on the train with these three kids. And, uh, and they're hungry and they're tired. And I can tell you through all this, I was not praising the Lord, I was not thankful, I was pretty grumpy. Now, you might understand my frustration, what I was going through. But the grumbling against the Lord, so suddenly I was praising him the moment we got onto the flight. Woohoo, we're going to make it. An hour later, grumbling against him. And he got me safely to the airport. Can he not get me safely home from the airport as well? So fickle. So quick to go from the highs to the lows. Oh, I love it when the Lord does what I want him to do when I want to do him and give me good circumstances all the time. But when the trying circumstances come, am I praising him then? 
Why not? The Lord hasn't changed. He's just as faithful. He's just as good. He's just as gracious. Grumble, grumble, grumble. Easy to praise God when circumstances go the way we expect. But what about when they don't? Are we still going to trust God then, or is it straight to the grumbling? Now, what's the solution to all this then? Well, let's look thirdly and finally at the Lord himself. The Lord who is always there, always with his people, always doing right by them. If you glance down to verse 7 of chapter 17, the people, the Israelites, ask a question that gets right to the heart of this issue and right to the heart of their grumbling. They ask, is the Lord among us or not? Now, you would think that's a pretty easy question to answer, right? Given what's just been going on. I mean, did the Red Sea part itself? Where did the manna and quail come from? How did the water suddenly become drinkable when before it was... Of course the Lord's with you. Of course he's among you. This is one of the key lessons that the Lord is trying to teach them in this section. If you just glance back to chapter 15, verse 26... God gives them the water so that you will know at the end there that I am the Lord who heals you. Chapter 16, verse 12, he gives them the food so that you will know that I am the Lord your God. If you know the Lord is always with you, always amongst you, then he is in control of whatever you are going through. If he knows he is for you, for your good, rescuing you from Egypt to Canaan, from slavery to freedom, you know whatever is happening is working towards this bigger plan. It will protect you from grumbling. It will release you to be thankful, to be trusting, no matter what you are facing. And what's so wonderful about the God of the Bible is this is true no matter how much we muck up. Think of how fickle the Israelites are, going from their praise to grumbling. Think of their disobedience with the manna, taking too much than they should, trying to go looking for it in the Sabbath. The Lord doesn't judge them. He's merciful to them. The Lord doesn't give up with them. They're faithless. He's faithful. He's committed himself to them. He's with them. He's always with them. It is true for us today. No matter how much we muck up, he is there. He is amongst us. Do you see that? Now, interestingly, it's going quite fast here, Moses has an important role to play in this. God is, is with his people through Moses. He is the one that throws the wood into the water. He is the one that strikes the rock. He is the one that cries out to the Lord. But he's not the final solution to this question. The final answer is the Lord amongst us because Moses himself gets frustrated with the people. Um, in the scene with the Amalekites, you know, Moses, we didn't have it read out. He's trying to hold the staff up for victory and he can't do it. It's quite this comical scene. As Aaron and Hur have to come up and help him in chapter 18. Moses can't judge all the people. They need other people to help. No, the final answer to this question is, is the Lord amongst us or not? Is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ and his giving of the Spirit. The Son of God who came to earth 2,000 years ago. The Word made flesh who dwelt among us to show he is here, to show he is here for us. The son of God who lived a perfect life of obedience to God, of faithfulness, who never complained, who never grumbled. 
Even when his friends, one friend betrayed him, even though others deserted him, even though people spat against him, mocked him, put him on a cross and killed him, he was obedient even to death on a cross. And he did it for you and for me so we can know his unfailing love, so we can know he is 100% for us, that he will never leave us or forsake us. And even though he rose and is in heaven, now he sent his spirit to be with each and every Christian believer. The spirit with the church. Transforming us from the inside out. Moving us from disobedience to obedience, from faithlessness to faithfulness, a guarantee of our inheritance in the future. Now, do you see the Lord with you? Do you see the Lord amongst us? Because the more we get that, see that reality of the Lord's presence in our life, even though we can't see him physically, but by faith, know he is here. That is the answer to grumbling. That is the answer to praise to the Lord. Is the Lord amongst us or not? Yes, he is. He always is. So no matter what you are facing this week, know that, remember that, pray into that. Ask the Lord for whatever you are going through and know that he is there and he will provide for you. Let me pray for us. Let's pray. Oh, what grace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pains we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Father God, thank you so much indeed for these chapters of Exodus. This reminder of all that you have done for us ultimately in the Lord Jesus Christ, our past dealt with, our future absolutely secure because of Jesus' death, resurrection, ascension, and giving of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father God, wherever we're coming from today, we would see that reality of your presence in this world, in this church, and in our own lives as we trust in you, that whenever we think of that question, is the Lord amongst me or not? Is he at work? Yes, he is. We will answer that. And so be moved to thankfulness and praise and away from grumbling. And we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.